broadcasting from my beautiful studio in downtown Portland, Maine. Today's September 9th, 2020, and joining today's show by phone is Anne McCarthy, co-host of the Woman podcast and a producer of the Twisted History podcast on Barstool Sports, where she's known affectionately as St. Anne for being married to Michael McCarthy, known as Large. Large is the co-host of Barstool Breakfast with Willie Colon on Sirius XM Radio, a blogger, and the host of his own podcasts, The Podfathers and Twisted History. Welcome, Anne McCarthy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, so you were once a trader on Wall Street, a stockbroker. Um, your father was a Wall Street guy. You married a trader on Wall Street, Street who now works at Barstool Sports, which is a company bought by Penn National, and now El Presidente, Dave Portnoy, the the chief, um, identifies as Davy Day Trader Global. <laughs> so first, I would love to hear you describe your relationship to the stock market. So my relationship to the stock market is, um, you know, classic old school. My dad was down there from the 60s, and he much conditioned me to follow in his footsteps. Back in the uh, 70s and 80s, there weren't afternoon activities the way there are now. So um, like today, we have our kids in 10 different camps and, and keep them busy. But my dad took me to work with him. I was I would spend every holiday and every day off and every summer sitting next to him on the trading floor or up in his office writing commission tickets. And um, you just naturally get a grasp of how it works, right? You just you get a you pick up terminology and you just happen to, it just comes naturally the way that day-to-day things work. So um, right after high school, he insisted that I get my associate's degree, but I just wanted to go down to the trading floor. And I it was the thing, it was, I, I knew it. So I went straight down, I went to school at night, and I loved it. I started down as data entry, and I worked my way up to a QT clerk, and then I ended up being a frontline clerk in the booth, and then eventually I went out on the seat as a broker. I was the 80th woman to sign the book. Well, wow, that's so exciting. It looks like you stopped trading in 2008. Is that yes. right? Now, your husband, Mike, Michael McCarthy, known as Large at Barstool, he, of course, has his whole story, which is very interesting about um, <laughs> the stock market. But is the fact that Barstool Sports now is so focused on the stock market, does that make Large's role more relevant or somehow different? Not really. I think he is the go-to guy when they have a question about technology or how something works or what's legal and what isn't legal because he has a history of working down there for 25 years. And um, it's, it's, a, it's ironic that when I stopped in 2008, my second son was a year. That's when he started Take a Report. And um, that was his outlet from the madness of having two sons and a wife who was working full time. I always wanted and, to know, did, did he tell you he was doing that? When did you first find out that you, that Large oh, was? <laughs> he did not. So how Take a Report started was um, when somebody would leave the trading desk, he would write a eulogy for that person as they were walking out, whether they were fired or whether they took a new job someplace else. He would pretty much roast them with a eulogy on the their last walk off the train just when they had their box in their hands. And it was always written from, you know, a very silly perspective. Like he's, he's, he used, has great wit and he would just, he would just roast the guy. And that's how Take a Report had started. And 
one of the guys on his trading desk said, I have a guy who, you know, wants to start a website. You guys would be great together. You could write and he could do the, the website. There was no mobile platform back then in 2008. So Mike would write all this stuff at home. He'd come home and just type up these, these rants at night. And then he would email them to this guy, Teddy, who was the admin of the website. He never did anything at work. He always did it at home because there was no mobile platform to do it on. So, um, which was great for me because he would take the second shift with the kid. Like the baby would be sitting next to him in a bassinet as he was typing and I'd get to sleep. <laughs> you know, it was wonderful. But, um, so that's how Tank Report had started. But it wasn't until he had been typing on the website for probably about a month that one of my cousins had called me up. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you let Mike write about your C-section like that. <laughs> and I, I kind of gave him, like, the, like I knew he did the rants, but I didn't know that he was emailing them and that this guy was posting them. And uh, that's how I, I called Mike. I was like, out of curiosity, where would my cousin Fletcher have read, uh, read about my C-section? Like, where did oh, – he's like, oh, I didn't tell you. <laughs> because I was working full time and he, you know, I had like the little ones and it was just, you know, lack of communication at that point. <laughs> Two ships passing in the night. Oh, I know that feeling. So do you now uh, still follow the stock market pretty closely? Like, do you own Penn stocks and keep checking your phone every day? Um, when I, when I zero in on something I do, I don't watch it generally to see like the way I used to watch the ticker I don't like I used to have the running ticker tape on my phone and every stock that my customers were in or if we had a position and I always knew if it was up down what the news was what it was a year ago on this date and you know I knew everything now I kind of just um focus in on what specific things I like to follow like if I were to go into my stock portfolio right now and it's not even my portfolio it's just the top number one things I like to look at of course, Penn is one of my favorites because I think it's just the way that this has fluctuated over the last six months has been so much fun to watch. But I always watch what Shake Shack is doing because I, I hear from my, my 16 year old that that's like the place they all love to go. And I like to see what that's doing because I think they have their finger on the pulse of what the, you know, what the kids like. And then Nike, of course, I always have Nike up. Um, and then I just have a few simple, like, you know, just a few like Boeing. I always follow Boeing. Do you do or, any day trading? Uh, no, I don't. I don't do. I don't do any day trading. I, I'm not savvy enough for day trading. I'll have to start for it. Now, does your experience on Wall Street help you understand sports betting anymore? Like, is it easier for you to understand betting on a horse because it's like picking a stock, or not really? Well, for me, the way, like, my job was very different from a, a desk trader. A desk trader, depending on whether or not they were on the buy side or sell side, how I understood it was that that's where the orders were generated. I was the execution side. I was down on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange. We only executed buy and sell equity orders. And um, I was pretty much told, you know, buy 50,000 shares of American Online or sell 100,000 shares of Micron Technologies. And then I would have to go into the crowd, see what other buyers or sellers were outside of me. And I would try to get the best price I possibly could to fill that specific order. I didn't I didn't create any order flow. I didn't I didn't have a say in that. I got my orders directly from a trading desk. No, so but, some things like that, like the lingo or if someone's explaining to me, you know, what they want to do as far as a spread, I can follow it. I probably a lot quicker than some people who aren't familiar with, with the way, you know, things are hedged against each other, but um 
they're they're I think the pace is similar, so I follow a little bit easier just because of that. Well, I haven't downloaded the Barstool Sports app. Well, actually, I did download it, but I haven't used it yet, so I'm going to see if I can figure it out. Switching gears a little bit, back in the day, Barstool Sports was really about sports, uh, pop culture, pretty girls, partying, kind of a happy distraction from politics and real life. Uh Now, for a lot of reasons, sports and politics are inseparable, it seems. Uh, There's stories all over about what the NBA, the NFL are doing today. There's a story about the Celtics pledging $25 over 10 years to fight racial injustice. Um, Naomi Osaka is wearing masks with names of uh, Trayvon Martin and Ahmed Arbery and George Floyd at the U.S. Open. In your view, is this kind of you know, collision of sports and politics, an opportunity for Barstool, or do you think it's an existential threat to kind of the business model of just providing entertainment? Um, I guess it could be a little bit of both, but I see, I think Dave has his finger on the pulse very closely. Like, I think he, he really pays attention to all the fine details, and I think he speaks to his employees often enough that he really make sure that they understand where he wants to go and what his um, idea is. So I think as far as content goes for them, they're, he gives them freedom, but at the same time, he makes sure that they still follow the, his guidelines. So I think they're able to see it from a very objective perspective and, the, and they use it just for content. Like I think they make it entertaining while being respectful and um funny you know like they 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 really want to make people come back so I think I think they dance a fine line I think they do it very well now Willie Colon is by far my favorite guy at Barstool no offense no no offense to your (laughs) husband it feels like a privilege to be let into his head and his heart and his soul and he celebrated your birthday with you recently so yes he did I'm wondering has your I don't know, is your attitude or your role in the national dialogue or reckoning about race um, in America, has, have you been personally influenced by your relationship to him and, and the work that your husband and, and Willie Colon do together? I think um, I have never been someone who, I, at least I don't believe I have ever been someone who um, sees color. Like I kind of just, if you're nice to me and I, and and you're a caring person and you're a good person. I love you no matter what you are. And, um, you know, I've had some conversations with Willie a couple of times about um, heated issues in the world. And he's got such a, I think anybody could learn from sitting down with him because he, when you're talking to him and you're having a conversation with him, he makes such direct eye contact and he hears and listens to everything you're saying. And if you happen to say something that he agrees with, he lets you know. If he has, if you say something he disagrees with, he lets you know in a very polite way. Like it's never a comfort. He's never, you know, confrontational, argumentative, or, or um, insulting or condescending at all. But the one thing I do love about Willie also is that when you say something that he didn't agree with, but now he sees your perspective or your side of things. And now it's changed his way of thinking or, you know, um, influenced in some way. He appreciates it so much. He's like, oh, I didn't think of that. So now how would you like he, he really engages. And I think that is something more people would really learn from. 
final topic. Uh, it's September 9th today, and September 11th um, is right around the corner. Um, it was moving for me to read about your family's experience, but I was wondering, what, what's the story you tell your children about what happened on 9-11? Um, I've always been extremely honest with them because emotions, they really don't give you any, any indication when they're going to come to the surface. <laughs> so anything can, can set me off. It's, it's very, it's very, it could be something as simple as um, seeing my dad's street name or seeing his, the building in the distance. Your or, father, um, um, Emmerich. Someone on Facebook pops up and you see one of their kids who was born after 9-11 graduate from high school or just that they hit a milestone in life. So you really do get emotional at the oddest of times, or if it's just my middle son looking up at me and he looks exactly like my dad. So I've been very, very upfront and honest with them. So when Mike wrote his, when my husband Large wrote his article, um, I think it was two years ago that he wrote it, we had my oldest read it to my other two. That way they could understand what daddy went through. And then they have since read the book that I, I wrote this year. So I, I try to be as open and honest as I can be with them. And I let them know that they have to be to my mom, to my sister, to my aunts, to my cousins, because their cousins, because they have to know that everybody was affected. And, so, then I, and I try to incorporate that into our everyday life, too, because you never know what somebody else in their family went through. Ours was very public. Mine was very public. And um, we were we were put out there very right after 9-11, even though social media wasn't a huge platform back then just well, because of the, the scope of what we did tell us but, what, um, but for, for listeners who might not know your your father was killed on 9-11 and he is one of the almost 3,000 names that appear in the memorial but can you would you mind just sharing with my audience where you were and and just briefly what what your day was like and how that's really changed if it's changed your perspective on life now um no i i absolutely i'm happy to share it so um every tuesday my dad held a a weekly business meeting up at windows on the world and i went every tuesday i just happened to not go that tuesday and so when the first plane hit and i saw on, on my my television where it was hit i knew immediately that my dad was still up there it was there was just the timing and everything so the day went where it was now a matter of trying to get in touch to see who survived where everybody was um trying to get answers trying to find out where my husband was because i was on the floor of the new york stock exchange he was up at city group i was four um four blocks southeast he was 11 blocks northwest so we had the trade center directly between us so it was it was a day of just chaos it was terrifying. It was a terrifying day. There was a, a battery of events that went on. I would I would take an hour if, if I went through it with you. <laughs> and I would be glad to. I just don't know how much time you have. Um, but we had nine, we had a total of nine guys that were up above the point of impact in the North Tower. Um, one of them was my uncle, my dad's sister's husband, and two other guys were brothers-in-law. So it was a very, very tight-knit community. It was very, they were, everybody was very close to each other. So um, traumatic would be an understatement. And oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for the loss of your family. Thank you. It was, it was, you got to, see, you know, you, 
it was a horrible day. It was a horrible experience. It was traumatic. It was terrifying. It it had so many different layers of all those things as well. But you didn't see any racial tension that day. You didn't see everybody came together. Everybody was so supportive of each other. You want to talk about people being unified. That was that day everybody pulled together and just there was there was it was wonderful to see so many people pull together. I would never have gotten through everything that I got through if it wasn't for so many people being so supportive. Were you No way. Were you generally pleased with how the city responded in terms of the memorial and and the 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 monument, the recognition of of the people who died? I thought they did a I thought they did a very good job. I I was insulated because on the floor of the New York and American Stock Exchange, we were the only firm that had lost brokers. And um, so, and every, you know, we had been down there since the sixties. So everybody knew our guy, our guys. And um, I, I think because of that, we had, one of the guys had a plaque put up at the luncheon club. There's a street named after my father down in ground zero on the corner of Thames and Trinity place, right in front of Trinity church. Oh, I'll have um, to find that next time there. It's, it's absolutely incredible. The outpour of love and support was just monumental. So specifically to me, I feel like I have been hugged for the last 19 years. Um, I don't know how somebody who whose family member was on a flight feels. You know, I don't, I haven't had an interaction with them. I've tried to speak to as many people as I can. I've had people who have had family members lost on 9-11 reach out. And it's been wonderful to talk to them because I don't know their stories. And although mine has been so public and I lost so many people that were very, very close to me, all from the same firm, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make mine any worse than somebody who lost their husband and they didn't have kids. You know, like mine, it's it's mine's just different. Mine's no worse than somebody else's because they're all equally as tragic. How do you think your experience with 9-11 has shaped your views and and who you are today as a mother and as a woman? Well, um, to deal with them separately, I would say as a woman, it was, it was a male dominated industry. And I had to learn very early on because I was, I was raised by a single dad and, um, I loved my mom and I'm very close with her. I just happened to um, live with my dad for the majority of growing up. And it was a very male dominated industry. So when I started down there in the summers, I had to take a lot of heat from people. You know, oh, daddy's girl, she gets whatever she wants, she gets her job, this and that. My dad looked at it from a perspective of, oh, no, I got you the job, now you got to keep it. It wasn't, you know, there were no sick days for me. Like, people had sick days, they stayed home if they had, you know, a really bad sinus infection. My dad would say, well, what's the difference? You're standing up at the counter, why can't you stand up at your, at your, in the booth? Like, there was, he was very, very hard on me. So, there, my work ethic from very early on was, um, instilled in me so I never I never took a day off I never took a back seat and if I wanted something I didn't want people thinking I got it because I was his daughter I wanted to have it on my own merit so I really I really thought fought through the trenches and made my way on my own so um, being the 80th woman to sign the book it wasn't just handed to me because of the situation that we were in or because he was my dad I, I, I busted my butt and I learned how to trade and I and I was I, I think I was very good at it but I loved it I enjoyed doing it and I never um it, I never took that road where if somebody said something inappropriate or um 
you know, made a comment or a cat call, I dealt with it on my own. I didn't, I didn't take it up the ranks. I never went to a superior or anything. I always dealt with it on my own. If it was something I didn't think I could handle, then I definitely would have. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a hero, but I definitely dealt with things on my own. I at least I tried to first. And then as a mom, I think it, I, I'm not one of those moms who's super, um, I don't let my kids get away with too much I, when they need to, I let them, but I'm pretty hard on them as well. I think I let, I'm very strict. We're very strict in my house. We, you know, the golden rule is, is big in our house. We, um, we talk to our kids politely. We always teach them kindness. We always want them to be respectful. They have, they have to learn the same way we did, which was very old school. We don't hit our kids. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't hit my kids, but I'm very strict with them and there's rules that have to be followed. And we've been, we've been pretty strict with them up until now. Now my 16 year old understands that we're fun, <laughs> that, uh, you know, dad worked for parcel, what it is, my 13 year old, not so much. And definitely not my 10 year old, but, um, they see that the reasons why they did it, because people respond to that. When you say, yes, please, no, thank you. Hello, Mrs. So-and-so. And they make direct eye contact it's almost like a lost art because a lot of the kids don't do that. And it's just the basic things that we've, we've been um, repetitive with them since the day they were born. And I think that comes from being in an environment where you always have to keep your self tight, because if you let yourself go with just a little bit, you're going to get, you know, your shoes busted. <laughs> That's right. Now, how we, last question, how do you and your family recognize 9-11 when it comes around every year is it just is it, what happens in a, in a household like yours where you've lost you know your father your kid's grandfather your uncles like you said um is is it a fading memory or is it every year it comes around and you confront it the, the lead-up is very hard because you start you see the, the images and for me it's that when um the north tower is standing solo by itself and it's just billowing black smoke like that's that's a very very hard image to see so i try my best not to turn on the news in the days leading up um it you never the pain is always just as hard for each individual you just learn to live with it you just learn to live with the pain you it, it never goes away and neither do you like you never forget the smells from the days after you never forget um you like they don't they're not individual faces but you remember the faces of um the workers and the rescuers that that came in the days after immediate after and like you knew when they found somebody that day you never forget that and um you just learn to live with it and for for my family what we do is we talk about it um Barstool's been great. They allow us to have a platform where we're able to talk about it. Last night, we did the Twisted History podcast where we went through it um, minute by minute. And I think for us, once on Friday or once on September 11th, when the second tower goes down, the news kind of like shifts to other things. So it's not that our day ends, but I think there's a sigh of relief that it's over at 1029 on the anniversary. You know, like we'll we'll all call each other. We'll have a group text. Like, how's everybody doing today? But we we really try not to talk about it too much with each other. We just give each other a hug and you know, thinking about you today type thing. It never goes away. And you just learn to live with it. 
Well, Anne McCarthy, thank you so much for being my guest. If my audience would like to hear more from you, how could they do that? Oh, they can follow me. Um, my biggest presence is on Twitter. They can follow me at Anne McCarthy, A-N-N-E-M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y. And I do all the research for the Twisted History podcast for Barstool Sports. Well, Anne McCarthy, thank you very much. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It was a pleasure meeting you. Take care. Thank you. You too.